0: So you think your candidate for president will have control over the U.S. and global economy. Good luck with that. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's a firm belief among most of us that the actions of American presidents directly impact the U.S. economy. Certainly on paper, it seems to be true. The positions of the two major political parties, as well as those of smaller factions, are based on the belief that these individuals can fix our economy, whatever that might mean to you. But today we're going to hear a contrary view. My guest is Jonathan Citron, financial advisor and author. He believes that we give presidents way too much credit or blame for economic trends. On the contrary, he says, there's very little correlation or causation between presidential policy and economic performance. We'll talk about what he calls the myth of the economic commander-in-chief and debate whether that individual really has the power to boost the economy, create jobs, and spur investment on Wall Street as well as Main Street. So here is my conversation with Jonathan Citrin. Jonathan Citrin, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: We're going to be talking about what I think you refer to as debunking the myth of the economic commander-in-chief, which is an answer to the idea that presidents actually have some measure of control over the U.S., maybe even global economy. Could you state for me your thesis, uh, please, to the extent that you apparently do not believe that the president has as much power over the economy as many people do?
1: Yeah, of course, and thank you again for having me. I I think that this is such a vital topic. We'll certainly get into later on here in the conversation why. I'll, I'll tell you why I think it's so vital, because the reason that we create the myth In the first place is what I really want to get at, what I really want your listeners to to understand, because I think therein lies a lot of answers in reducing risk and increasing efficiencies, uh, making better business decisions. But the myth itself is pretty straightforward. Business owners, uh, supply chain managers watch the economic cycle pretty closely, but the average voter only looks at it every four years. And every four years around this time, we start to hear uh, last week in Detroit, both presidential candidates came and started talking about the economy and their plans. And we hear a lot about the economy every four years around this time. And we start to draw a causation uh, between the president's behaviors and policies and the outcomes in the economy. And I think that it's been time enough. My, My thesis is that there is very little correlation, let alone causation, between the president's policies and the outcomes, the performance of an economy. And once we start to recognize that and accept that, we're going to make better decisions in who we vote for and better decisions in our policies and in our business decisions themselves. So it's a pretty straightforward thesis. The president has much less control than our listeners think.
0: OK, well, here's a statistic that I'm sure you're familiar with. Since World War II, the economy has done better when Democrats were in the White House. Coincidence, yeah. luck
1: or what? Uh, it's as if, you know, you're reading my mind. Coincidence. Absolute coincidence. There are many schools of thought on this. So the, the the liberal left-wing school of thought is that that fact, which is a fact, that actually is the case, that's for good reason. That's because presidential policies of Democratic presidents are more favorable to economic outcomes. Republican candidates and Republican supporters would tell you that it's the Republicans that that set things up for the Democrats who then inherit what they've built. And actually, if you look a little deeper under those numbers, what you'll see is that the studies have shown that even though Democrats have the outcome performance that's stronger than Republicans, there's less volatility during Republican time. So it almost depends on what you're looking for and what you define as success in some ways. So technically, correct, Democrats have created more jobs and have had greater GDP growth than Republicans in in modern history here in the United States in terms of presidents on the economy. But that is complete happenstance. I talk about Steve Jobs a lot, which I think for for businesses and and supply chain managers and and all of us, any voter, we all know Steve Jobs. And he invented the font. He invented the personal computer. He invented the iPod and the iPad and the, the iPhone and all these things that impact our lives. And it's hard for anyone to really come to grips with the fact that Steve Jobs was a brilliant person, but it took a great deal of luck for him to come upon all those inventions. If you flip a coin a hundred times, you're probably not going to land on heads all hundred times. But if I give a coin to a billion people and let all of them flip a hundred times, somebody in that billion is going to flip heads a hundred times in a row. And what I'm saying is it's hard sometimes for us to believe that democratic presidents aren't responsible for that growth. And it's hard for us to believe that Steve Jobs had some measure of luck in his outcomes, but it's the truth. It's really the truth.
0: Well, all, I guess you could make two arguments. You can make the argument that it's coincidence, or if you're a Republican, as you say, you could make the argument that the impact, the distance between action and result, is is yeah. long, that there yeah. is a lagging, and so they could say, well, all that great performance in the Democratic uh, administration was set up in our administration, and all right. the lousy performance in ours was a result of the previous Democratic administration. So exactly. I guess you could cut it any way you want, right? And
1: we'll go, yeah, and we go round around, you know, until till we all beat each other up. And I think that there's some truth in both, and what I would say in that regard is that if you look at the policies of the two major parties, you have the, the Democrats, which are, uh, more government spending and more taxation and the Republicans, which is smaller government and less taxation. Both of those platforms are valid. Both of those will work. And what I'm saying there is that there are more than one road that leads to Rome and we can get there in various ways. And so, Yes, in some ways the Republicans are correct. They created the setup. They implemented the structure that then the Democratic presidents reaped the benefit of. You know, they, they cleaned up the Democrats' mess, and then another Democrat came to office and reaped the benefits. And the <laughs> Democrats obviously have, have their side of it, which they say, no, it's our policies that, that create the growth. And the point I like to make to people is that if you look at the platforms of both parties, they're both solid platforms, both smaller government, less spending, bigger government bigger spending both of those lead to economic growth at the end of the day and so i think both parties are somewhat responsible for the growth and both parties are also uh... have nothing to do with the growth and 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 ultimately that leads us to a point where we realize that as long as the president isn't doing something malicious what she or he in the office might do has very little impact and and we can get into obviously and I, if if you don't ask me i'll give it to you anyway uh, some of the factors that that caused growth outside of the Oval Office, but yeah, yeah I,
0: I do want to get into that for yeah, sure. Yeah, of
1: course. I figured you did, but to your question, yeah, I, I think that both sides have valid claims that they had a a part in the in the play, and they did. And the the what I want bu- uh, listeners to realize is they're both actors in the play, but neither are directors. Neither of them are directing and producing this play. It's it's the people ourselves who are doing that.
0: Okay, let's talk monetary policy. I think we could all agree that the Fed does have an impact on the economy uh, in its control uh, over interest rates, over the money supply, and its performance and the quantitative easing during the big recession. It is, of course, true that the president appoints members of the Feds, including the Fed chairman, and that this has happened a lot. And is it not true that those people would reflect the policies and the economic leaning of the president? Who uh, appoints them? That seems like a pretty direct impact.
1: It feels that way. It certainly does. And until we start to peel away some of the layers. And and what I mean by that is Ben Bernanke, who obviously oversaw the economy during the great downturn, was appointed by a Republican president, but then uh, served for a great number of years under a Democratic president, you know, Obama, after uh, W. Bush. And so sometimes, you know, you have a, a, a policymaker at the head of the Federal Open Market Committee and the Federal Reserve, who isn't necessarily implementing just Democratic or Republican policies, and and maybe Bernanke and some others were were very good at listening to their president, no matter whether they were Democrat or Republican. But but moreover, I think in the theoretical world, meaning academia, we would talk about the what ifs. And so let's look back at 2008 for just a quick second. And it does appear in hindsight, as we look back, that the actions of the Fed dropping interest rates, government spending, bailing out banks, that that had a significant impact on the therein or thereafter growth of the economy and jobs. But we have to ask the question, what would have happened if they didn't intervene? What would happen if that policy did not take place? What would happen if we didn't bail out the autos uh, and we didn't bail out some of these financial banks would we be in a worse case? And, and there's an argument to be made that we would, and there's an argument to be made that, that we wouldn't, that we'd actually be better off if the Fed did not get involved. It's the free market economy argument. And so my pushback when people do cite uh, the policies of the Federal Reserve Board is that you have to look at the potential for better outcomes if we didn't have those policies in place. It's, it's a real free market argument, if you will.
0: Well, it's impossible to to know, as you say, because I believe that every time we have had some kind of a real economic crisis, and this is probably right. true in most countries of the world, is the government has taken action. We don't have yeah. a laboratory in yeah. which the government sat back, folded its hands and said, <laughs> let the chips fall where they may and see what happened." I don't think the people of those countries would tolerate that. Isn't so it? we will never know
1: right and and it's fascinating because the the amount of people who want a true free market economy where there is no government intervention is fairly large. The amount of people who ever get elected with that is probably zero to your point you know and it's because you know we want somebody who's going to take action and make us feel good and this gets me to a bigger point, which is this idea this myth around the president is more than just an election it's Our belief that action is better than inaction, that doing something is better than doing nothing. And and in a lot of ways, following our habitual patterns of the past is what we revert to. And and what I mean by that is I think that your comment is really a a poignant one because every country around the world has done the same thing. I I don't remember a time where a government has just said, screw our economy. (laughs) oh let's see what happens. This will be an interesting experiment. But why is that? You know, why do we keep throwing good money after bad? Yes, we've had some economic growth, not only in this country, but around the world. But on the other hand, we've had tremendous economic volatility. There's still tremendous global poverty. There are a lot of problems economically around the world. Uh, And most considerably, I just say that that we're unable to ever find economic equilibrium in any economy around the world. Disequilibrium has become kind of the reality of our existence. And why do we keep following the same policies and procedures if they're just not working. And I, I'm not advocating for Clinton or Trump or Obama versus W. Bush, Democrats versus Republicans. I'm talking about our habits as voters, and that is this this idea that we have to do something and that policy has a, a, a determined and, and measurable impact on what we're doing. And I, I would kind of... um if I could, Bob, make you think about road rage, you know, you get in a car (laughs) and you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and then traffic starts and you're stuck and you got to get somewhere. And what do we do? We all get kind of frustrated and some of us just, you know, shake our heads. Some of us bang the steering wheel. Some of us, you know, do something even more crazy, but never, never has road rage made traffic go away. You know, it's not like you can bang on your steering wheel and all of a sudden everybody gets out of your way. I mean, to my knowledge, GM or Ford haven't invented that yet. Um, but what I'm saying to you, and it's not no no different than um, overeating or abuse of some sort of substance or uh, fighting with your spouse. We have these things that we do in our lives that are not good for us, but we do them anyway. And what I want people to understand, I think this is the crux of the issue, is that we live in a world that's largely out of our control and. If you think about economics, you know, I've taught economics for many years at the university level. I've practiced it as a financial advisor for many years, and I travel and speak about it. And the reality about economies is they're out of our control. We don't have a lot of control. But when we vote, we like to think we have control. We like to think that the Federal Reserve chairman uh, has some control and that the president has some control because it makes us feel better. And it's no than road rage, it's like uh, habit replaces control for us in our brains. And I have this saying that we prefer suffering in familiarity than prospering in uncertainty. And so my <laughs> kind of grander response to, to your, your comment is that I agree with you that nobody in the world has allowed their country to be a petri dish, but I believe that what they would find is they would prosper in that uncertainty, that that uncertainty is much better than grabbing onto a habit that just doesn't make a difference.
0: Let me extend your traffic metaphor with a personal yeah. anecdote, and that is like, let's right. say I'm, I'm stuck in traffic on a freeway, and I can't stand the idea of not moving, so I'll get off the freeway, and I will then proceed oh. to go through a Byzantine route of surface streets that gets me right. there, finally, telling myself <laughs> that I got there faster. It right. may not be faster, but at exactly. least I was moving, Jonathan. Exactly. That's the psychological, I was doing something to get exactly.
1: there. I think it's just even better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that. I'll, I'll give you credit for <laughs> Or, you know, I will cite my source, but that's an even better, you know, uh, representation. And I think that, that listeners and you and I all together every day need to slow down a little bit and say to ourselves, okay, I'm not going to pick habit just so I feel like I'm in control, just so I feel like I'm getting there faster. I'm going to take a breath and realize that even if I sit here and I'm a little uncertain of what's going on in front of me with that, with that, that clog of cars, that... I'm probably going to prosper better in the end if I do what's logical. You know, there's this whole, um, in economics, as you're probably aware, there's utility theory, which is the assumption that everybody's making economic decisions that are rational and logical. And for many, many years, that's how we based our economic uh, theory and policy in the government. And then in 1979, uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky came along and wrote something called prospect theory, which showed that... In our brains, we all have these biases that impact our decisions, and we're not really rational. And so we're Mm -hmm. starting to, in the behavioral finance sphere, explain why we grab onto these habits. And I'm just trying to educate people even further and say, when you think you're voting your pocketbook, you're actually voting your fears.
0: Yeah, are you you know. thinking fast or thinking slow in the words of David? Right, honest. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, I, I, I still want to push back a little bit against Believe? this argument. Yeah, I, I want to talk about fiscal policy, which you already have alluded to, tax cuts versus government spending. Yeah. Government spending especially, I mean, there's a lot of pressure right now for the administration and Congress to get to work on spending on our nation's infrastructure. Yeah. Number one, because it's falling apart. Number two, because right. we need more of it. And number three, because it would create jobs. That yeah. seems to me to be a pretty direct relationship to economic strength.
1: Uh, And I would agree with you. And I, and I think the, the – I don't think I know. The point I'm making is that that is absolutely – a viable valid avenue toward economic strength but so is uh, the free market and government you know less government and less taxing and less spending altogether all i'm saying is that while that comment while, while the the procedures that you just mentioned are very valuable so is the the contra which right now would be the the more conservative approach which is less spending less taxation both of them have a lot of merit. Both of them have some intricacies that, that come out as shortfalls, in my opinion, too. But both of them have heavy weight for doing good things. And I think that the problem isn't that our procedures are bad in themselves. It's that the back and forth and the bickering and the clogging of the system in terms of progress in Congress and, and whatnot, it all gets in the way of any kind of progress. So both are valuable means of getting to the end. Both are great road to getting to Rome. But mm-hmm. we just can't pick a road. We jump from one, you know, just like the. Let's continue with the traffic metaphor. You know, we, we go down one road for forty five minutes, and then we somebody says to us, "This is," and we go to another road. And you know, we we're constantly turning off and moving. And
0: oh, uh, four years later, we have another administration, maybe another right. party, and so we're going right. another direction. Well, but it would if,
1: be refreshing, yeah. Bob, is if both candidates got up and said, "Hey, look, I think that your way is very valuable, and that could work too. And why not we?" Oh, good or, luck. Or
0: good yeah, luck I know, but
1: but you know, they they're trying to get elected. And and they're playing on our fears, which is our our thing is we buy into what's familiar to us, and they're playing on that. And so the reality is is that to have to get closer at any kind of economic equilibrium in there and give give supply chain managers and business owners any chance of predicting what's going to happen in the future, we have to stop this seesaw, back-and-forth policy game and realize that both have good things and, and, and both can work if, if everybody would just stop voting their fears.
0: Okay, but again, just on this specific issue of infrastructure, you want to use the term road. Well, that road to Rome is is in bad shape. It's, it's, right, it's falling yeah. apart. Uh, inaction, well, um,
1: yeah. inaction
0: does not fix roads. Inaction does not hire people. We would not probably have an interstate state highway system under the Eisenhower administration if
1: right. no, he I, had
0: not done that.
1: Don't get me wrong. I think that building infrastructure is a very powerful, important concept in terms of not just economic growth, but you know, not having seven flat tires on the way to work. I mean, it's an important uh-huh. thing the argument on the other end of things was that the private is that the private sector if the government would step out of the way the private sector would fill fill the space and so i agree with you that we need better roads but there is an argument versus who provides that that road building is it something that's done uh, more on the private sector on a local level in local communities or is it something that's done by the federal government and and i totally agree with the, the interstate system being something that was implemented and that we all benefit from but we have to remember that had uh, eisenhower not done that Would we not have an interstate system? That question we don't know the answer to. So we can't assume that we wouldn't have I-75 if we didn't have a, a government spending on it. There very well may have been a private sector solution for that same problem.
0: Okay, I also want to very quickly touch on the role of the president on the international stage. There are actions yeah. that a president takes that can have international reverberations, beginning with the most obvious, and that is the negotiation of multilateral trade agreements, which are extremely right. controversial right now. Their impact on the economy, that seems to be a possibility. If the president takes at military action against countries with oil supplies, that affects the uh, the amount of oil and the price of oil, which affects the economy directly. So, I don't know, do you... Do you uh, at least acknowledge that there is perhaps an indirect impact between a president's international actions and the reverberation that comes back to us in this economy?
1: First, I appreciate the question. I I think it's uh, just a wonderful one, and and particularly the the, military and how everything kind of uh, interrelates to to one another on an economic level. I do certainly think that the president's actions will have some impact on the growth of our local economy and and the global economy therein. But I don't think it's as great as you're alluding to and as people think. I think that maybe there's a correlation at best. This this idea of having some sort of you know, strong causation between uh, what what a president's going to do or not do is just not the case. And what I mean by that is that A, a president can do one thing or the other, and how we interpret those actions is very different. So you know, going to war or not going to war could be seen as a strength or weakness depending on sentiment of the consumer. The wind could blow in some country, and that could affect the economies no matter what the president is doing. I could have a president that's invading some country or sign some trade deal at the same time the value of the dollar is just skyrocketing so our products are more expensive for people overseas. Where I'm going with that is that there are so many factors that play into what's happening that we overvalue the effect of the president it's not that the president has no effect it's just that we give the president so much credit they've this myth that there's this omnipotent power in the oval office that both domestically and internationally can have a, a, a marked impact on our growth and it's just not the case there's so many different factors particularly in a globalized world particularly in a globalized world that we have to come to the realization that things are more out of control than we than we think, and, and therefore more out of con- our presence control too.
0: Well, that is some really interesting food for thought. As un- as unsettling <laughs> as it might be, I <laughs> right. think it's a very it's important, very important tough. argument to be discussing. So, Jonathan Citron, well, I want you. to thank you so much for being with us today to talk about this uh, this vital topic. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks for having me. You know, I, I really enjoy your your um, material, and it's an honor to be here. Thank you.
0: That was my conversation with author and financial analyst Jonathan Citron, talking about whether the U.S. president actually has influence over economic trends. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where you post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn.